Hi everyone, welcome to this podcast from Cambridge Health Tech Institute for the Impact Conference, which runs December 5th to 7th, 2017 in San Diego, California. I'm Mana Chandok, an associate producer. We have with us today one of our speakers from the neoantigen-based personalized immunotherapy track, Dr. Danny Wells, who is an informatics scientist at the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy. Dr. Wells, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mana. I'm excited to be talking with you today. Please explain a little about what the Parker Institute is and what the Tumor Neoantigen Selection Alliance, or TESLA, collaboration is. Well, the Parker Institute is a collaborative network that brings together the best researchers in the nation and the world to collaborate on science to ultimately help empower our bodies or the body's immune system to destroy cancer. We were founded in mid-April 2016, although we'd been in the works for about a year before that, with a $250 million grant from the Parker Foundation founded by Sean Parker. So along, the structure of our institute is a little unique. Along with our central office in San Francisco, where I sit, we have six institutes that we work really, really closely with and kind of serve as our scientific arms to what some people call the central brain here. Of course, all the best scientists are at all these institutes. So those institutes are UCSF, Stanford, UCLA, MD Anderson, the University of Pennsylvania, and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. The goal of the institute, or kind of like our belief, is that by bringing the best scientists together and then giving them the tools and resources they need, like one-stop shop clinical trials and legal help and informatics and data science, which is what I do, that we can kind of vastly accelerate the translation of breakthroughs and ultimately kind of drive the creation of new treatments. So the Tesla consortium that you mentioned is actually part of this. So I'll talk about Tesla kind of briefly. Tesla is a global research consortium that was founded at the Parker Institute along with our collaborators at the Cancer Research Institute, focused on figuring out how to better identify neoantigens, which, for those maybe unfamiliar, are small pieces of degraded protein inside of a cell that contain a mutation, or these protein peptides would not be found natively in a healthy cell, and they are presented by the tumor and then allow the immune system to recognize that tumor cell as foreign and thus serve as a path to recognition of the tumor by the immune system. The goal of Tesla is really to figure out for any particular neoantigen, and some tumors like melanomas could have thousands of different unique neoantigens derived from different mutated genes, what makes a good one? What are the properties of that neoantigen if it's high expression or high allelic penetrance throughout the tumor or strong binding to HLA or what have you, what are those features of a particular 8 to 12 mer peptide that really elicit a very strong anti-tumor immune response? Taking that knowledge, we hope to be able to translate that to be able to develop or to improve the development of computational algorithms to detect neoantigens from tumor exome data, which is so sequencing the tumor along with taking the RNA-seq of that tumor and then being able to predict which neoantigens found there will elicit a strong immune response. Those are kind of the, the short-term goals. We, we ultimately hope to take all of those goals together or take the results of this whole project and be able to hopefully build better methods for developing personalized vaccines that can be tailored to an individual patient's tumor and thus hopefully have fewer side effects compared to the side effects we see with, say, anti-CTLA-4 therapy. The consortium is, frankly, quite amazing. It's 30 of the most prominent research groups in neoantigen, this 
discovery from groups in academia, nonprofit, and industry, including Genentech, Bristol Myers Squibb, Neon Therapeutics, as well as places like Washington University in St. Louis, the Broad Institute, Caltech is involved, and many more. There's 30 plus groups at this point, so it's too many to list. What are some of the biggest challenges that scientists working on neoangiogen-based therapeutics are faced with today, and how can we overcome them? So, by their nature, neoangiogen therapies are personalized, they're tailored to the individual, and that comes with kind of incredible benefits, but it also means that every patient has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. And this is kind of very, very different than the way some immunotherapies are right now, where we can use a single molecule, say, like anti-PD-1 developed by Merck for thousands of patients in neoantigen therapies. Every patient has to be evaluated individually. This creates some bottlenecks in terms of how can we do this at a rate that's going to be clinically relevant. We can't take three months to take out a patient's tumor, process the DNA, sequence it, identify putative neoantigens, and then validate those in the lab. That period of time is much, much too long for the patient. So accelerating that pipeline where we can do this in two weeks is a tremendous challenge. I think it's going to require both new computational methods as well as new assay technologies that are really sensitive and high throughput compared to what we have now. And then along with that, the biggest issue, or one of the big issues with personalized vaccine therapies has been and remains making them affordable and making them something that every patient can benefit from. It's one thing to say we can treat one patient in a clinical trial, but it's another one to say how can we make this a therapy that everyone is going to ultimately be able to have access to. And for personalized therapies where you're engineering new antibodies to be put into a human, that's always going to be expensive when done with good manufacturing practice. And so really figuring out where are the ways we can make that more efficient are really important. On the other side, on kind of like the scientific or biological side, I would say what's more of the operational side, I think one of the the biggest challenges in all of immunotherapy and certainly with neoantigens is figuring out how to expand the application of these therapies to tumors with what's called a low mutation burden or tumors which don't have a lot of neoantigens. These right now are where a lot of immunotherapies are having trouble. So we're having just totally tremendous success in melanoma and now in non-small cell lung cancer and some other cancers. But how do we get this to, you know, say like a pancreatic cancer, which traditionally may only have five or 10 possible neoantigens that are expressed? If we could develop vaccines that could target those handful of neoantigens and strengthen an immune response, those could potentially be synergistic with things like PD-1 and kind of give the immune system a helpful nudge in the right direction for where it should be looking. And so that's a totally tremendous challenge, but one that I'm excited to see the scientific community take on. What do you see in the future for clinical applications of neoantigens? Like PD-1 therapy or anti-PD-1 therapy, I think that neoantigen-based monotherapies have a potential to be successful on their own. But when I think about the area that I'm really the most excited about is kind of similar to the PD-1 space right now is combining neoantigen vaccines with other modalities of immune therapy to hopefully improve treatment. So there's there's a really beautiful example of this that like just coincidentally came out, I guess yesterday or today in Nature from Kathy Wu and her collaborators at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And so they actually developed a neoantigen-based vaccine and did a phase one trial in six patients. And what they saw was really, really encouraging. In two-thirds of those patients, the vaccine by itself was able to elicit a durable clinical response. So you just give them the vaccine and they were treated. However, in one-third of the patients, so two of the patients, the vaccine monotherapy didn't elicit a durable response by itself. However, if you gave PD-1 
after you gave the vaccine, the PD-1 response was tremendous, right? So you had patients having a complete response and having a durable clinical benefit from PD-1 after treatment with the vaccine, which is actually quite rare. So for PD-1 to elicit a complete response, essentially to allow the immune system to totally wipe the tumor out, they mentioned in the paper happens in about six to seven percent of cases. And so here it happened two out of two for these people who had had these vaccines. So the idea of using a vaccine to kind of stimulate the immune system and then get it boosted and then to use PD-1 to release the breaks, to release the tumor-induced immune suppression and allow the immune system to use the clues and the breadcrumbs that the neoantigen vaccine laid to target the tumor is tremendously exciting. And I think that that's where we're really going to potentially see some real breakthroughs. What new frontiers in cancer immunotherapy are you particularly excited about? So I'd be remiss to say I'm extremely bullish and excited about neoantigen-based therapies, but there's a few other things that we're working on here and I'm a part of that I'm really, really excited about. And so one of those things is that a lot of the new discoveries that we're seeing in cancer immunotherapy are really forcing us to begin to treat cancer more systemically and something that's wrong with our entire bodies and that can be addressed by targeting different areas of our bodies. So one example, we work with Dr. Jennifer Wargo at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And in the past couple months, she's been presenting some extremely compelling evidence that the composition of a patient's microbiome can shape how they respond to PD-1 therapy. And so this is the, the presence or absence of certain microbes is very, very predictive, essentially night and day for if you're going to respond. So kind of the question then is, why is this? Like, what, what is it about these particular bugs that predict that you're going to respond to PD-1? And two, if we somehow therapeutically drive a particular patient's microbiome to look more like that of one of these super responders or one of these people who has these microbiomes that predict response, will that change how they respond? Or can we shape response to a cancer drug by changing the bacteria that's in your gut? And it's kind of amazing that we can now think about treating cancer non-locally and kind of far away, so to speak, from the side of the tumor because our immune system is always learning things all throughout our body and bringing that information and kind of sharing it or it's getting distributed throughout our bodies. And so that's one area that I'm really excited about. We also work with a scientist at UCSF, Matt Spitzer, who's done a lot of really amazing work to show how a systemic immune response is required for an effective response to PD-1 therapy. And I think you'll see a lot more or a much deeper understanding of why that is the case coming out soon. The other area that I'm really excited about is some of the new technologies that we're seeing get developed. And one of that will kind of allow us to take more measurements, faster measurements, deeper measurements, etc. And so the one that I'm Well, of the many, and there's so many things happening here right now, but one of the technologies that I'm really excited about is called multiplex ion beam imaging, and this can measure upwards of 40 different markers or cell surface markers in solid tissue, so it can be thought of as being kind of like a mass cytometer or like a very, very high-dimensional flow cytometer, but something that can work in formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded tissue, and it's also able to preserve spatial information. So you're able to say not only what are the markers on this cell, is this a CD8-positive cell, is this a CD25-positive, FOXP3-positive cell, or what have you, but really say, okay, and who are that cell's neighbors and what do they look like? And what we're learning, and this is, it's really, really early days for this, but what's starting to be understood is that cell state and what a particular cell looks like is 
contextual and depends on its neighbors. So what an activated CD8 T cell looks like depends on the CD4 cells and the dendritic cells around it and what they look like. And so I think that that's, it's almost a profound reshaping, or it, it has the potential to kind of profoundly reshape how we think about the immune system as this very flexible, truly adaptive community of cells who are always kind of informing each other or changing each other's behaviors through secreted molecules. And that deeper understanding, I think, is going to allow us to figure out how to more deeply penetrate the, or break up the tumor microenvironment when we really understand what are these cells looking like who are inducing immune suppression and why are they doing that and who are they affecting. And we can really get that kind of knowledge about this whole network and this 3D embedded mesh of cells, I think that that's going to really allow us to identify therapeutic targets that allow the immune system to more directly target a tumor and ultimately lead to a cure or at least a durable response. Dr. Wells, thank you for your time and insights today. Thank you so much, Mona. That was Danny Wells, an informatics scientist at the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy. He'll be speaking at the neoantigen-based Personalized Immunotherapies track at the upcoming IMPACT conference, which takes place December 5th to 7th, 2017 in San Diego, California. If you'd like to hear from him in person, please visit www.impactimmunotherapy.com for registration information and enter the key code podcast. I'm Mana Chandok. Thank you for listening.